Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in this episode of the podcast, I got to talk to Krista Burslam, Krista is a clinical director for urgent and emergency care at eConsult, and we've just had a fantastic, fantastic chat. It's a slightly different tone of interview because we do get into the technicalities a little bit of eConsult, what it does, the information that it captures, patient's perspective, a couple of friends, um, a couple of colleagues asked me to ask eConsult a couple of questions. So I think those of you that work in general practice, that work in secondary care, that work in an emergency department, this is definitely 100% for you. You will know exactly what we're talking about. We talked about the lessons learned of scaling up very quickly due to COVID because eConsult provide an online digital decision tool to help manage workflow. I asked Krista how the company dealt with negative reviews because like anything, there are massive fans of the service and there are people that don't like it. And she was really honest. I really appreciate her honesty, her candor. She's happy to be challenged. We also, she also shared with us how she started working for eConsult and how she took a risk of leaving a steady job to go and work for this startup. And we talked about her as an entrepreneur at eConsult. It was a really, really nice interview. Krista and I are gonna do something else together. She was a pleasure to talk to. I think you're really, really gonna like it. So, um, hey, Krista, thank you so much for joining me on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. I was really excited to have you guys on. Um, So it'd be great if you could share with our audience a little bit about who you are, what you do and who you work for. Uh, Yeah, okay. Um, So my name's Krista. Uh, I'm the Clinical Director for Urgent and Emergency Care for eConsult. Um, and lead on the clinical content side of all of our products. So e-consult, e-triage and e-specialist, also lead on uh, clinical governance um, and co-chair that with my chief medical officer. 
My background is I'm an emergency nurse. I was the matron of the emergency department at King's before joining eConsult in 2017. So uh, really good kind of NHS background um, to then join eConsult, which is very exciting about taking digital triage forward into the NHS. So could you share with our listeners kind of how you went from being a nurse and how you were kind of headhunted into this position that you do now? Good question. Good question. Um, so I think in, in medicine, you know, everyone thinks that there's lots of, of healthcare workers out there and there is, there's thousands of us, um, but you tend to network along the way, that's for sure. And, and you see people, especially in deaneries, rotating around. Um, and I'd worked with our CEO, Murray Ellender, um, in emergency departments as he was leading on the GPs being provided for my ED at the time. Um, so got chatting to him and he spoke to me and he said, I've got this mad idea. Um, we're doing e-consult in primary care and it's working really well where we're getting online consultations into GP surgeries. And I'd really like to, to bring that together and have a bit of an ecosystem um, and take that into secondary care as well, into emergency medicine. And I remember chatting to him saying, there's bigger purse strings than me, Murray, in this hospital. And he was like, no, it'd be really great if you, you actually come and join us to, to develop this. And uh, for years, like most matrons in the emergency department, I'd been really struggling with how I could make the emergency department more efficient um, because waiting rooms have become very crowded. They become quite frightening places. Um, and I did keep thinking to myself, there's a lot of this stuff that can be done digitally, like, and it's done in a very manual process. And, and Murray's spot on here. And this would, this would be right up my street to make emergency departments safer. So totally jumped at, at the opportunity and took a really big risk. You know, we're very, very safe in our jobs, if you like, where you're in this substantive role in, in the emergency department. You have a very clear pathway of where you want to, where you want to go in your career. Um, and I certainly knew where I thought I was, I was going. Um, and then the next thing I took this big leap of faith and, and yeah, and went to, went to e-consult, which was very, very exciting. Really and big opportunity. And how long have you worked there now? So joined in 2017. So yeah, okay. June 2017, I, I joined. So it's been it's been fantastic. And I know lots of our listeners will know um, what eConsult is, but for those of them that may not be as familiar, could you tell us what what is it? So eConsult is uh, a company that has developed online consultations for GP surgeries and now for emergency departments and urgent treatment centres, as well as now outpatients, where patients can go online, they can consult with their GP surgery in their own time, where they then answer some questions based on their, their current condition or their presenting complaint. Um, those questions will then be submitted to the GP surgery and the GP surgery then can look at that online consultation, that, that e-consult, and then triage that appropriately. So enable the practice to then look at that consult and go, actually, this needs to go to one of our GPs or this can go to our prescribing pharmacist. So really allows that GP surgery to workflow and triage those patients to the right, the right person who needs to look after their care. So really good opportunity um, to not allow kind of a first come first serve basis with, with telephone, which I know as a, as a patient, um, it used to be quite difficult to try and get through to your GP surgery on the phone. Um, and, and the, 
booked appointments would, would be snapped up because people would be first online trying to, to get to that appointment. Um, and when the appointments were full, they were full. So this is a really good opportunity for GP surgeries to enable their, their patients to consult with them um, and get them to the right person at the right time. And I suppose all surgeries work differently, but where, so one of the needs that you have addressed, gone are the days, you know, like it's like quarter to eight and you're, you know, like you're ready, you've got it on speed dial. And hopefully, you know, you don't have hundreds of people trying to get through their appointments. So you go online, but do surgeries use e-consult blanket? So what happens actually if I do need to get through to the doctor on, on the day? What happens in that instance? Or do the practices have both phone and e-consult? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a really great transformation team that work with practices. And I think what's really important for practices to know is that this is not an additional channel. So you're not opening up another lane in the motorway, if you like, for patients to, to access the surgery. What you're trying to do is, is channel shift almost, as those patients who would have phoned up actually then use an online consultation service, which then frees up those telephone lines. It gets rid of those telephone queues so that patients who are unable to use the digital access then have the opportunity to be able to phone the practice and speak to the receptionist. So it, it's about replacing services that they have, um, but not cutting them off completely. So you, as a patient, you do have access. And then it's really important for your reception team, for those patients who still use the telephone to acknowledge can that patient actually use an online consultation can you take them off that telephone line now and put them into a digital space which then they can consult with the practice and again frees up that telephone line for those patients who who don't have access to digital or, or just really can't use it we're seeing very few numbers to be honest um, of patients that don't have access from a digital perspective i think it's more about the change management isn't it and patients understanding that there is this access for them do you think so? I've got a question for yeah. you from, from a friend of a friend. Okay, I'll read it. Um, so, hi, Tara. I don't want to sound overtly challenging, as I think their work is groundbreaking and generally positive from a patient perspective. But did they foresee the nightmare that is the Monday morning deluge of digital consultations awaiting the practice after the weekend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think practices always have that Monday morning nightmare anyway after the weekend. So if you have online consultation or actually you don't have online consultation and you have your telephone triage, you're always going to have a Monday morning um, queue, if you like. The same as emergency departments, we have exactly the same Monday mornings. People, people attend your services. Um, I think what's really important is that what we're seeing is patients do acknowledge that their GP surgeries aren't open at the weekend. So you'll find that patients, um, it's minimal numbers that are coming through over the weekend. But of course, you will see an increase over bank holidays, etc. And people will submit them on Sunday nights to kind of get through on the Monday, the Monday morning. But actually, you know, the percentage is no different to those patients trying to get through to your concerts, trying to get through to your telephone lines. What practices then can do with e-triage is they may, and with e-consults, sorry, is they may have lots of e-consults that have come through on Monday morning. 
But that information that they've been given is far richer than if those patients were phoning on the telephone. And they can look through that and say, actually, this patient's done an online consultation. I've received it on my Monday morning, but I don't need to see them until next week, until X, Y and Z happens. So they can workflow that better for them. And they don't have to actually see that patient or speak to that patient on that day. They can then use the one way messaging system that we have in our platform to contact that patient and say, thank you very much. We've seen your e-consult. We've booked you in for a blood test and the GP will then follow you up next week. So it allows a much more richer system. And what's from a patient's perspective? What's the turnaround time? So if I put my e-consult in on a, so my daughter, can you do it for children actually? Yes, you can. You can do okay. it for children. So over over six months, we don't allow you to do an e-consult for a, for a child under six months. So my daughter needs an inhaler. We've put a prescription in. It's kind of been rejected. So I'm guessing she needs to see, maybe she needs an asthma review. She needs to see the doctor. So if I do that via e-consult, I don't need an appointment, you know, like today, it's not urgent. But what is, is there like a standard operating time? When should I receive information that's been received and it's being dealt with? So as a patient, you will then see what we call an end screen. So you'll see an information sheet at the end of your consultation, which will advise you that you will get a response by the end of the next working day. Okay. So it really does depend on when you submit that. Now, if you've submitted an administration request, for example, then you'll receive a response that will say you'll receive a response from the practice within three working days, because it may be that you're asking for, for a letter of referral, just evidence for that letter of referral or for some other administration request. So that allows the practice to have up to three days to respond to you. Now, I think it's really important that practices understand that the response to the patient has to be by the end of the next working day. That's not saying you have to give that patient an appointment because you're in control of that then you can see exactly what's needed so it may be that someone rejected your prescription but then actually the GP's reviewed it and gone actually I can give another week's supply of this prescription or actually she hasn't had an asthma review and we really need to get her into our asthma review clinic etc and then they can book you in. I'm going back to the first point around the comment around there's lots of e-consults on the Monday the slight shift in that is that whilst the reception, you know, the receptionist would see or feel that cue and yeah. the phone's going, but the doctor wouldn't. Yeah. Because they're not on reception. Whereas now the doctor triaging or whoever, is it it's usually, is it usually a doctor triage going through the consults? It really depends on how, again, as a practice, how you you sort this out. So some practices have what they call um, an acute reception team that then look through these e-triages. They can look at them through the e-consults. And sorry, I've been working on e-triage all morning, so I've got that. <laughs> okay. um, and I could talk about that forever. Uh, so they can look at through the e-consults and they could see some of the red flags that have come through. That might go to their duty doctor team. That might go to their urgent care team so some practices now I know there's a big practice in Plymouth for example that have an urgent care on the day response team that deal with the e-consults so you can have the receptionist looking at those and then they can adhere to the standard operational procedures that they have in that practice with who those e-consults then go to some of them do have the urgent and emergency care teams then looking at them so it really does depend on how you want to control this mm. in surgery we don't dictate to you we'll support you with with different model types so at, at the start of covid 
I am assuming your business went through the roof. Yes. What did you, what gaps did that surge in business highlight? Um, I, I'm incredibly proud of eConsult with how we coped with, with COVID, to be honest. It showed that we adapted very, very quickly as a team to working from home. Um, the developers are very used to all working in the same office um, and being able to communicate very effectively with each other because they're sat next to each other. Um, and then the next thing we were all at, at home individually. Um, but I think we've got enough internal platforms in place to be able to communicate effectively. So, so that worked really well. Um, what we had to do was train internal members of staff to, to mobilize practices if you like so do the onboarding process because that was very much left to our operations team to bring practices online um, to get them up and running with e-consult um, and then all of a sudden like you say it, it just went through the roof so we had to have different members of our internal team down to our ceo actually onboarding practices which was just amazing so we we scaled up if you like very quickly internally to to deal with it um, which was, which was great, which shows that as a company, we are very adaptable um, and we can do things when we, we really, really need to, which was just great. And we did it very quickly, very effectively. Um, we also needed to change clinical content very quickly as well. So our clinicians, we all got together um, and worked very, very quickly to support the uh, Public Health England guidance of getting patients who did have COVID symptoms down to the online pathway so that they were they were traceable with COVID symptoms. So, you know, all of us very quickly went into our, our work mode of, right, this is what we need to do. We need to get this, get this done. So, yeah, it worked very well. So there were no challenges. So one of the things is really important, and what I say to all of the businesses is when they come onto the Business of Healthcare podcast, we want to hear all the amazing work, but healthcare is really complex yeah. and it doesn't always work and things go wrong. And I think in COVID, it would be, you'd have to be phenomenal to be able to rapidly respond to this pandemic yeah. without any oh crap moments oh yeah absolutely I mean I think you know what we had is we had to prioritize very very um strategically with what we were going to work on you know ideally we we would have looked at all of our clinical content and updated all you know our gut instinct was right let's get COVID questions in every single template um and then we looked at that and we were like we don't have the development capacity for that and actually let's be realistic we also don't need to um, so we don't need to put COVID questions in every single template that we have because actually it's not relevant. Um, so we sat down and looked at exactly what we needed to do. Um, so you're always going to have challenges with how quickly you can develop things um, because you can only do as much as you can with the team that yeah. you you have um, and you can't pull developers out of thin air and and employ the following day because they need to be trained in our product so you know you're, that's always going to be a challenge is you can only do as much work as you possibly can do in a 24 hour hour period um but we had to prioritize and we had to look at what we needed to do because at the same time we had to 
We had to scale up to 3,300 practices going live with eConsult. We needed to change content to make sure it was safe for COVID. So there was lots going on and it was like juggling balls. It really was. Um, but I think the team did remarkably well under the circumstances that, that we had. Um, and we had to we had to stop development. You know, what we wanted to do at the time was really increase all of our clinical review content um, to allow patients with with conditions such as, you know, asthma review clinics and rheumatoid arthritis clinics and things like that. That had to go on a hold um, because we had to prioritize to be able to scale up with all those practices wanting online consultation, as well as then making sure that we were safe from a COVID perspective. So, of course, you know, it was challenging. We I ideally wanted to please our, our customers as GP surgeries and get all that review content out. But you have to prioritize. Definitely. And how did you, how have you personally managed? So during this time where just everybody's working, it feels like nonstop. How have you managed to stay sane, look after yourself um, whilst scaling up this business or supporting the scale of this business? Yeah, it's incredibly, it has been challenging. Absolutely. It's been difficult. Um, but at the same time, I've embraced it and I've, I've actually really, really enjoyed it. Um, I, I struggled initially because I'm an emergency nurse and mm -hmm. part of my role in e-consult is going into emergency departments to implement e-triage. Um, that was incredibly difficult because I was trying to support emergency departments via Zoom and the general managers or the matrons and clinical directors walking around with their phones trying to show us the waiting room. And I was like, can you move to the left a bit? And it, you know, it was incredibly difficult. And, and I think part of my ED mentality is I was like, I just want to go into the ED and help them and, and fix it. Um, and that, that was quite a struggle. Um, it's a struggle working at home, isn't it? Like trying to work on your dining room table um, when normally you're you're in the office or like I say, you know, with me, I'm I'm very much on site with my role. So that was quite, quite difficult, but I very much learned to adapt to that. And I think how I've how I've stayed sane during it is I have an incredible family, um, an amazing fiance who and my friends who we have really embraced Zoom and MS Teams. And, you know, my friends and I have Zoom calls every single week just to keep that contact up. Mm. It's not the same because you do want to just give them a hug. And we've all had birthdays in lockdown, which has yeah. been very strange over Zoom. Um, but and I've walked a lot as well. Okay. So I've managed to get myself out constantly. And I think where where you're on site all the time, you don't realize how much walking you do and how many yeah. steps you do between getting on the train and the tubes and walking to EDs. Um, so I've ensured that actually I get out every single day and I get some, get some fresh air um, to have some kind of normality, I think. Cause I think you can very much get yourself so caught up in it that before you realize you haven't actually left your seat because you've yeah. been Zoom call, Zoom call, Zoom call one after the other. Um, so I have made sure that I've, and uh, my uh, my CTO, he also gave me a great tip. And he said, sometimes you just don't have to have your camera on. Okay. Uh, turn it off. Because especially if you're not someone who's participating much in that meeting and you're more of an observer in it, 
turn your camera off, put your earphones in, and while you're on the meeting, just walk. Just walk around. around. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do that. Yeah. And it's a fantastic tip, and I've I've really learned from Steve with that. So yeah, now I I feel like mm. I can turn my camera off. I don't need to keep it on all the time because I think that got a bit much where you become quite self-conscious because you're yeah definitely you're like picking your face apart (laughs) you're like oh this is awful (laughs) I look very tired today and dreadful so um yeah I I very much took that tip on board and I was like okay the camera can go off do you miss being a nurse uh no because I still keep up my nursing so uh, yeah I um I I miss it and there's elements that I don't, I don't miss it. Um, I don't miss the incredible pressure that you have as an emergency department matron when you're trying to run a a really busy ED. Um, But, you know, COVID has, has prevented this, but what I made sure was that when I left a full-time substantive job as a matron, that actually I kept up my skills as a nurse because I worked incredibly hard to get my registration and I'm very, very proud of it. So I made sure that I still carried on with doing all of the events that I do. So I, I support in doing the medical cover for charity boxing events and oh, cool. racing events and things like that. So I very much keep up my, my skills still, which is, which is great. And I really do enjoy it. And it's lovely. Um, COVID's prevented that, which has been really sad. So yes, over the last year, I've really missed mm. that. Really missed that. But um, yeah. And I think that, I think that gives eConsult massive credibility as well because our clinical teams, we are all still NHS practicing clinicians. Okay. So none of us have walked away from our, our original standing, if you like. You know, we, we all still practice. So our CEO is a GP, our chief medical officer is a GP, our strategic and brand director is an A&E doctor. Um, so there's lots of us that are clinicians still that that lead on e-consult and e-triage. And when we first spoke, I said, what would you you know like people to know about you? And I made a note where you said, like, I'm not just a nurse and that that's really, really important. And you want to share that there is this kind of there is a hierarchy, isn't there? And I know lots of nurses lots of roles feel like well I'm not the doctor I don't have the say and you've said you've you've networked you've really made a name for yourself quite ambitious talk to me more about that I I think nurses should be incredibly proud of being a nurse Um, and I think sometimes I've had conversations with people and they've gone oh you're a nurse but why didn't you want to be a doctor because I didn't want to be a doctor a doctor has their own roles and they have their own responsibilities. And it's a very, very different job. Yes, we're in the same environment, but doctors need to do their thing. Nurses do a very, very different role and nurses need to do their their thing. Healthcare assistants are phenomenal and they need to do their own thing as well. And we all play an equal part in, in looking after people and caring for people and no role is better than the other. So I think that everyone should be incredibly proud of the pathway that they have chosen. And nurses have gone into nursing because they want to go into nursing, not because they couldn't become doctors. And I think people need to need to remember that and nurses need to remember that. And that's why I said, I'm not just a nurse. And you hear people go, but you're just the nurse 
or you're just the healthcare assistant. And actually, if you change your mentality to go, no, you're right, I'm not just a nurse and I'm not just a healthcare assistant, Mm -hmm. you can then strive to do what you want to do in your field and you can make the best of it. And there's so many things in nursing and so many different opportunities for nurses that nurses really do need to embrace it and they need to have a bit more of a voice, I think. What do you think is proud? What do you think is stopping them from chasing or creating new opportunities? I don't think they realise that these opportunities are necessarily out there as well. Um, You know, I've been working with our recruitment team at the moment and you can see we're looking for a a job opportunity that I really want it to go to nurses. Um, And they're like, right, we'll put it on LinkedIn. And I'm like, not many nurses are on LinkedIn because there's this mentality, I think, when you first start in nursing, that if you want to look at jobs, if you want to look at something different, you go on to NHS jobs. And NHS jobs is just fantastic. It is. There's, There's jobs galore on there. Um, But those opportunities outside of the NHS are kind of hidden for them because I don't think nurses realise that they can go onto LinkedIn and see job opportunities. They can go onto Twitter and see see job opportunities. You know, there's other social media platforms as well that they could use. And and I don't think nurses really look at that um, and realise what's what's out there. So it's a shame and it's trying to target those those nurses to say, look, there is other opportunities for them. Um, And especially if they haven't networked themselves within their job to find these people. Um, And I think you do have to be incredibly lucky. It's it's kind of sometimes it's who you know, isn't it? That you then realize that these things are going on, um, which then makes you go, oh, actually I'm gonna have a bit of a research out there to see if there is jobs in those, those fields. So, you know, had there not been the opportunity with e-consult and I'd got chatting to Murray and I realised that these things were happening with technology and it, and Murray wasn't involved in it, but we had a conversation and he was like, oh, there's these things going on. And, and I would have been like, well, actually, I'm the type of person that I'm now going to go home and research to see okay. what's out there, to see if there is any opportunity to one, bring it into my emergency department, maybe, or, or actually for myself. Um, and I think nursing do just look at one avenue for for job opportunities and we really do need to get that message out there that the job opportunities are are actually external and you need to look on other platforms and do you see yourself as you know like it's not your business but do you see yourself I think the term is like an an entrepreneur you know like your entrepreneurial inside of a business and would you consider yourself an Intrapreneur, yeah. That's a great word. Um, And now you've actually said it, yes. Yeah, I really do. I do see myself as an intrapreneur. I I started eConsult, like I said, in 2017, and they they had a very, very good eConsult product for primary care. And it was working very well, and there was more noise around it, where more and more practices and CCGs were interested in it. 
And my focus at the time was to, to look at e-triage going into the emergency department. Um, so one thing I wanted to share, lots of, because I work in primary care, people think this podcast is just about primary care, but it is about healthcare. So talk to us, what is, you keep mentioning e-triage. e-triage. So what's e-triage? Yeah. So e-triage is a digital solution for emergency departments that patients can walk into an A&E or an urgent treatment center, um, and they will see a bank of tablets in the waiting room, and they can go over to that tablet, and they can start telling that tablet why they're there. Um, And it will ask them their demographic details, it'll ask them who they are, their name, their address, and it will start looking them up on what we call the mini spine, which is the PDS to pull their NHS number. Um, We will then match the patient and we will then collect what we call emergency department data set. So emergency departments and urgent treatment centres now need to collect certain information which is reportable, uh, which is how did the patient get there? Did they arrive by foot? Did they arrive by tube? Did anyone refer them? Did a GP practice tell them to go to the emergency department? Did 111 tell them to go to the emergency department, for example? Um, It will then go through ethnicity data for them and it will collect all of that information for the emergency department. And then it will ask the patient why they're there, what's happened to them. Have they been hurt? Have they been injured? Are they feeling unwell? Um, And it will then take them down that pathway. So if you've walked into the ED, for example, with a head injury, You could then click on the body map within the product that says I've hurt my head and it will start asking all those questions that the likes of myself as as an ED matron would have asked you face to face um, in triage and behind the scenes it starts risk stratifying you. And it starts building up a picture that then goes directly into that clinical system of that emergency department and tells the doctors and nurses how sick you are from a priority perspective. So is this a P1 patient where it's life threatening or limb critical down to a P5 patient of, you know, this patient's actually worried about something, which is why they're here, but actually they're very well. And can they be navigated or streamed away to more appropriate healthcare services for their need? So it really does identify very, very quickly, all within five minutes of their arrival into that ED. Those clinicians know exactly what's wrong with that patient. And again, helps that ED to workflow those patients very, very quickly and helps them decompress their waiting room because waiting rooms were so crowded pre-COVID and we're now seeing post-COVID as well where numbers have gone up and actually emergency departments are starting to see more patients than they've ever seen before so they're now incredibly busy. So from a patient's perspective how do they you know like if so if if they feel it's an emergency and they've fallen over and they've got blood pouring out of their head and they're like they're they're filling in their information that's patients do that in an yeah yeah, they're quite happy to sit there and do that absolutely so we have got some incredible stories from our our departments that are live with e-triage where it's picked up very quickly patients who are incredibly sick um, and identified them straight into the system and then they have been called immediately by those triage nurses who have taken those patients into resus for example Um, those patients usually would have uh, and from my experience, I've seen it where 
we happily join a queue. <laughs> we see a queue and we, and we like it for some reason and we'll stand there until it's our turn. Um, and I've seen some horrific, horrific things to patients in those queues and they're normally the 10th person in that queue. Um, and you've dealt with nine others before you've got to that person who you really should have seen first. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's picked up a 24 year old boy walked in on a Saturday morning and used e-triage, um, put in that he had a headache. Uh, it was a new headache. He felt like someone had smacked him in the back of the head, openly admitted he'd gone out the night before and had a few beers. He was quite stressed at work and it picked up that he was a priority one. The clinician came and called him immediately. Um, and within nine minutes, this was one of our standalone urgent treatment centers that have e-triage. Within nine minutes, he was in an ambulance and go into the nearest emergency department because he had a bleed on his brain. And he walked in and he was talking and he looked very, very well. So it identified him very quickly. Not all people who are bleeding need to be seen immediately. And I think of there's course, that yeah. perception when you see, because it, yeah. it looks horrible, doesn't it? Um, but actually they just need support of being cleaned up and then they can, they can wait for the appropriate person. And this may sound like a silly question, but where you're capturing, you mentioned, so like how people get there. Yeah. What would you then do with that information? If you look at your data mm. and we see a, a section of the population are all getting here by foot. Yeah. What does that tell you? What does that mean? What are you going to do with that information? So that information gets reported to NHS England and NHS Digital. Um, lots of emergency departments are, are looking at that as well to be able to say, you know, what is our cohort of patients? Who, who's coming here? Do we have an increase in ambulance attendances, for example, or actually are all of our patients walking in? Are they ambulatory? And therefore, what are those ambulatory patients? Are we, for example, seeing patients walking in with subaracs? because actually they haven't called an ambulance because they haven't deemed their illness, if you like, to be a medical emergency. So therefore they've gone, I'm not going to phone 999 or they have a bad perception that when an ambulance won't come anyway, so I'll just walk in. So it's, it's really good to look at that information and mm. see why, why patients are presenting with what injuries or illnesses and how, how they're presenting as well. Um, and then that can be passed through all as a network. So if you are getting patients who are seriously unwell walking in, it's finding out why they didn't phone an ambulance. It's allowing the ambulance service to see that information. Um, lots of information about gang relation as well with stabbings and gunshots. That's reportable information that can help police as well with where they they actually resource their police cars. And so there's there's lots yeah. of things that actually that information can help the wider network. How do you guys deal with negative reviews? So um, there is many people that say e-consult has changed my life, changed how we operate as a practice. It's fantastic. There will be, and just like you with any service, any product, mm -hmm. there'll be the people that say, this has made my life a misery yeah. and it's not helping. And somebody, somebody actually said to me, ask them, where is the evidence that this even works? Yeah. I how do you guys deal with negative reviews, especially sometimes when it's so public and everybody's talking about it on Twitter? Yeah, I, I think it's really important to look at negative reviews because actually I think our product has it, it's not the finished product. It never is. And actually, 
we are a company who's very, very willing to learn and is very honest. Um, and actually, sometimes it, it is really important to say we haven't done that. You're right. We need to do that. And it's really important to listen to people and to understand why they're feeling negative and can we help? Is it is it negativity against the product? Is it negativity because actually they are the victim at the moment of a broken healthcare service that everyone's feeling pressure, everyone's feeling a bit burnt out at the moment and everyone is incredibly tired because they have worked harder than they've ever worked before over this last 14 months. Um, so is it that actually they, they have just used e-consult as another channel and do they need our transformation team to come and help them? Is there another problem here? So actually it's not the product at all, it's how they're managing online consultation as a whole. So I think it's it's really worth looking at negativity. And we've we've had comments before publicly saying, you know, we we can't see this access because as a woman, I can't go on to e-consult and I can't access this. So you look at that and you take that on board and you say, absolutely, we don't have clinical content for HRT. Why why don't we? What you know, so actually we then looked as a team, we developed it. We've now got a HRT review template available for patients. So I think it's very important to listen to negativity. If, if you become complacent and you don't look at stuff like that, you're never going to develop and you're never going to progress as a, as a team or a company. Who is your ideal client? Good question. Um, who is our ideal client? it's a group of people to be honest i think if you if you can support and help gp practices so gps nurse practitioners prescribing pharmacists etc um you know gp surgeries even have paramedics working in them now if you can support that team to have a happier workflow and balance within their surgery that supports those clinicians to be able to then support the patients and make the patients happier so I, I think it's a ricochet effect if you like like you know the the patient is our client the clinicians are our client as well and I think you can't just focus on one or the other you have to bring them all together and actually they become one client as, okay. as a whole so that, well everybody that listens to this it works in healthcare so then the next question is if that if your ideal client is layered and it all builds up to one yeah. who pays for the service who pays for the service um if it's not your if it's not your client yeah so different different people pay for our our service so ccgs can buy e-consult um and then they get the practices within that ccg to have have e-consult practices can purchase e-consult themselves so they can take it on individually um, the same with e-triage the emergency department can buy e-triage um, and sometimes if they have an urgent treatment center as their front door provider for that trust and um, then ccgs again will will get involved with that so it really does it really does depend on on the model and who who wants the online consultation if there is a general practice that has e-consult that feels like they're having a bad experience yes. with it, 
what would your advice be? Our advice is that you reach out to us um, and we can put you in contact with our transformation team or actually we can put you in contact with us as a clinical team as well. So it may be that the the clinical team are, are struggling with how they they review e-consults or e-triage, so then actually the clinical team will will support in that. But the majority of the time, it's the transformation team because it, it's about change management and it's about how you workflow. So if they're having a bad time, then actually my advice is please please reach out to us because if if we can help, we absolutely will do. And for those organisations that may be thinking, I'm interested in either e-triage or e-consult what questions do they need to be asking themselves before they reach out to you? They're thinking um, they may have heard this, they've yeah. heard friends that have got it. Yeah. But if we're talking about change management, those organisations need to be very clear mm. on the thing they're trying to improve. So could you, what questions should they be thinking about? So I think it's it's always a good thing to kind of look at and say, right, what problems do we have? What are we what are we struggling with? We're struggling with the amount of people that are phoning every morning trying to get a telephone appointment, where we're struggling with the fact that we we've reached our capacity with face-to-face consultations and we have no more. So so what is what is the problem we're having in our practice? Um but also on the flip side, I'd say even if you're interested in e-consult and you kind of don't know where to start, then again, reach out to us because we will support you in finding out what the problems are as well and what you're struggling with. So one of the big things that we do in e-triage and the transformation team do it with e-consult as well is is find out your process mapping. How, How are you currently doing things? What is working really well for you? What is not working really well for you? And what we do in e-triage is pretend we're a patient. So as a patient, I walk into your emergency department and what happens? Who do you see first? Who do you speak to? What do you do? And we find out the exact process. And then we say, right, from an e-triage perspective, this is what can happen. And will this fit into your workflow? What do you need to change to make this better? Will this make things worse for you? You know, i.e. do look patients up on the spine in your emergency department because we do on the product. So how is that going to affect you? And this is what we then, you know, do as well with the transformation team do with GP surgeries. How long does it take to, you know, like what's your buying cycle from somebody saying, yeah, I'm interested. You go and meet with them. And then if they say, yeah, and then you do the process, you do your process mapping. They say, actually, yep. You know, what does that, what's the duration from e-triage perspective into emergency departments, because we have to get um, what we call interop with their clinical system. So I think it's really, really important for, for those members who are listening that work in A&Es and urgent treatment centres that as a product, what we do is make sure that all that information from e-triage goes into your clinical system. It's not another system because from an ED perspective, it's a nightmare. You have your patient tracking screen, the trust then can be on a different clinical system if you want to see what the medics have done with the patient in the past. So then you've got to log into that. If you want to order x-rays or see blood results, you have to log into another system. Um, and that was something that I, I brought to, to e And I said, you cannot have another system. They can't be logging into e-triage. Yes. 
it has to go into your onto the clinical system um and that's exactly what we what we've done so it's really important it, it goes into that clinical system for them to be able to see that information because um, otherwise it just won't it just won't work so that's that's the biggest length of time is getting that interop so if they say yes we've got the money we want to buy it it, it can take 12 weeks and they're they're then live so very quick from a gp perspective we we can now do it within 24 48 hours we can wow. get, get them live so very very quickly we've put all of the training as well online which has made it a lot easier for for gp surgeries to look at it What's the vision for eConsult as you guys move forward? What's our vision? So we're, we're a very ambitious company. We really are, um, you know, down to, we've got lots of ideas, which are, which are great. Um, myself and Mark Harmon, my strategic director, we've even talked about putting e-triage into festivals, you know, capturing, <laughs> capturing those, those cohort of patients. So we are incredibly ambitious, but I think, the main thing we want to do as a company is to help support and sustain the NHS is to help is to help them and keep them going, you know, enable the use of technology to make things better, to make things faster, but safer. So what you don't want to do is bring in technology to make things faster, but actually it makes things unsafe because that's not what we're we're about um, but I think it's really important to have accurate clinical decision making support tools for for clinicians in these environments because at the moment as well especially in EDs and I think in in general practice as well you've got different people making triage decisions um, at different skill levels you know my mum worked in, in GP surgeries for years. And my mum was incredibly good at identifying people who were sick. And that was because of her experience. If you've got a brand new receptionist, to put that accountability and responsibility onto receptionist is can be cr incredibly unfair and scary for them. Um, they're petrified of making the wrong decision. So therefore they'll just book everyone into an appointment because they want the GP to see everyone because they don't know what's right and what's wrong and who, you know, actually it doesn't need to see a GP. It can go to the nurse practitioner in that practice, but they don't, they don't know that because they're new and they're inexperienced. And you have exactly the same in A&E departments. We've got junior nurses now making significant decisions on that front door. So the, the triage histories can become very inconsistent, um, which doesn't allow for appropriate, appropriate workflow. So that's definitely our ambition. An interesting comment about the reception team. When we were in the thick of COVID, I had to go to the doctors and the wait, you know, there's no one in the waiting room. And I spoke to the receptionist and was like, how's it going? And she was just like, it's so boring. You know, like as much as they probably didn't like the phones ringing off the hook and it's quite sh definitely very, very stressful. They miss that patient interaction. So is the future of healthcare from a patient's perspective, we get easy access. We've all got a phone. If we need to, whether we need to go to A&E, whether we need to go to the doctor, we, that can all be digital. But from the workforce's perspective, it's a different way of working. Yeah. And, you know, do we strip that away and just replace it with tech, that front door? Um, no, and I, I think it's... It's having an understanding of how your role changes um, and 
we we worked with a, a good example of this is we worked with an urgent treatment center and the receptionists were very very apprehensive about e-triage and they were like it's taking our jobs away from us actually you know we have lots of interaction with the patients we know the waiting room we know what's wrong with all of these patients and absolutely they did when they were booking the patients in when we implemented e-triage the reception team then turned around and said our job is now fantastic, actually, and we didn't realise because we now come out from behind our desks. We interact with those patients who struggle with, with digital access. So they will come out, they will stand with the patients, they will support them through the e-triage journey. They also said we have far more visibility of the waiting room now than we've ever had because actually their jobs were incredibly difficult. They had so many other jobs, not just about booking people in. So they literally were going, thank you very much, Krista, next. Thank you very much, Krista, next. And they were just booking people in, whereas now, actually, they've got time to book fracture clinic appointments. They've got time to then look at safeguarding lists that they need to look at. They now are scanning documents in real time as opposed to months behind. So they've got a lot more headspace now. And the waiting room is much calmer that they actually can now see that, that waiting room. I think my mum would have loved to have been in a GP surgery that was quiet and boring and had had no interaction because that's a that's a lovely look <laughs> for them. Um, my mum might go back into into primary care if I tell her that that happened. Um, but oh, I, people are going to be listening to me. Yeah, that was one person, by the way. Yeah, they'll be like, "What <laughs> surgery was that?" We all want to go and work there. Um, but I I think as well, it's it's looking at. I think at the time that was probably the current climate, wasn't it? We're right at the very beginning where everyone was a little bit petrified of yeah. even setting foot into a healthcare environment because your perception of the chances of you getting COVID walking into an A&E or walking into a GP, you were going to get it. Um, so you could see you could see the fear, which is why lots of GP surgeries and lots of emergency department consultants and matrons did actually publicly have to go, we are still open yeah not shut um because we're here to help we're just doing things mm. differently it doesn't mean we don't want to look after you um so I, I think their jobs will change the human interaction will never go away and that's really important in e-consult is we are a decision support tool we're not a replacement so that human interaction if that patient needs to be seen face to face you absolutely still see that patient face-to-face. -face. You don't replace face-to-face -face consultations. It's there to support you, to allow you to actually interact with your patients if you really don't need to see them. And, and your example where you don't need to see the GP either, then online consultation is perfect, isn't it? Because you've allowed them that face-to-face -face appointment to go to someone else yeah. that really does need to see them. Krista, thank you so much. If people want to find out more about eConsult, where is the best place to find you guys? So on our website, which is eConsult.net. Thank you so much. That's all right. It's lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five-star review.
I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. It's really, really funny. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode. 